Welcome to Emily Jordan Radio, a podcast hosted and produced by me, Emily Jordan. I'm a health and life coach for women, a former fifth grade teacher turned artist, coach, writer, personal trainer, podcaster, and overall a creative 20-something just trying to honor who I am as deeply as possible. This podcast is a collection of motivation, inspiration, insight, and entertainment, and I hope that it can be a part of your pursuit to honor who you are too. Find me on Instagram at emilyjordan underscore coaching, and be sure to rate and review this podcast on iTunes or share it from wherever you're listening. Thanks for joining me here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hello, friends. Happy day. I am so excited for today's episode, and I can tell I'm just going to get all kinds of fired up here because today we're talking about 10 mistakes that many women are making in their health and fitness pursuits, and I'm also going to talk about ways to fix these mistakes. So these are literally all things that I've not only seen as a trainer and coach, but they're also mistakes that I've made as well. And I want to remind you that because your health is a fluid, always changing and evolving thing, as it should be, you will make these mistakes several times over, as do I. But it's important to know what they are and how to address them so that when you do find yourself in a rut or like wondering why things aren't working, you have these things in your head to be like, okay, maybe it's this or maybe I need to focus on this. So please don't listen to this and then expect to be like mistake free forever afterwards because you will ebb and flow and dip in and out of really great on fire times. And you'll also have periods where everything feels off and you're just not on top of your shit, but that's okay. And the important thing is that you're aware of what could potentially be causing you problems and then how to go about fixing those problems. The other thing is all of these quote mistakes are very easy, accessible things to fix. I often compare people's health and fitness pursuits to baking a cake. And when we try to bake a cake without a recipe or some knowledge of how baking chemistry or whatever works, we're more likely to fail, right? So imagine that you've been trying to bake this cake for years now and you've done this and this and that and you've tried this and you've tried that and literally every time it comes out like shit or just not um, exactly how you want it to. That's kind of how people are approaching their health and fitness. They're going in head first. They might be following some quote recipe but still they're not getting the results or the cake that they envisioned. And so, like I said, this list is all easy, accessible things to fix. I'm not going to tell you, um, you need a new oven or something ridiculous like that, which is what a lot of women will start to believe when nothing is working for them. They will either think, dear God, something is wrong with me as an individual, or they'll think something's wrong with their body, or they will believe something silly. Like maybe I just have the wrong shoes, but if your cake sucks, Getting a new spatula ain't going to make a difference. So that's what I mean by all these mistakes being easy, accessible things to fix. All of these things are things like you're just putting these things together in the wrong order or try baking it at this temperature for this time. They're not huge things. They're just small tweaks that you can totally make right now today and see massive changes in your results. I hope that my little cake analogy makes sense. And if I lost you, then come back, come back, because it is time to get into it. Like I said, I am really excited to talk about this because I guarantee that you are doing these things or that you have done something on this list. And the last thing before we get started, I did try to order these in order of like, easiest to fix to kind of deeper to resolve issues. And there is a link in the show notes of this episode with this entire list and accompanying blog post. So don't feel like you need to memorize this or anything like that. All right, let's go. Okay. 
Number one mistake is not drinking enough water. So there's no lack of knowledge here. We all know that water is important and 90% of the women I talk to are like, yeah, I need to drink more water, I know. So this is not something we don't know, but it's totally something that we underestimate. Water is so, so important for our overall health and the function of our bodily systems but it's also a huge part of feeling full and not overeating or overindulging. A lot of times when we think we're hungry, it's actually because we're thirsty. And I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that a glass of water satisfies my craving for chocolate or barbecue or something like that because that would be a lie. But I will tell you when I am on top of my water game and I'm drinking a decent amount of water, those cravings rarely arise. So water is not, from my experience, going to be the answer to a craving. It's not going to solve a craving, and it's not going to be a great reaction to feeling hungry, but it is easily the best preventative measure for cravings and hunger that we can take. One of the first questions I ask women when I meet with them about their health and fitness is, how much water are you drinking on a daily basis? So let me ask you, how much water are you drinking every day? Now, most people's answer to this is either not enough or I don't know, and both of those are not good. If you don't even know how much water you're drinking every day, then you're clearly just not being intentional about your consumption. Otherwise, you'd at least have some idea. For me, I drink anywhere from three to four liters on a good day, and this is really easy for me to know because I have one water bottle that's one liter, and I have one that is about two and a half liters. So I know that if I finish both of those each day, which I can typically do, I've had about three and a half liters, or about 120 ounces of water a day. A general kind of guideline for water consumption is to aim to consume your body weight in ounces every day. So if you weigh 150 pounds, you should try to drink 150 ounces of water a day. But you have to understand that for most people, this is gonna be a huge jump from how much water they're currently drinking. Some people are barely making it through a bottle a day. You know who you are. So just resolving to like randomly start drinking five times more water in a day is not only unrealistic, it's also unfair and it's not really the best way to approach this for your body. You need to gradually ease yourself and your body into drinking more water. It's not gonna happen overnight. My advice here is to always just try to drink more water today than you did yesterday until you reach your goal. And then of course you can always go up from there, but I would strongly, strongly recommend against a total 180 overnight transformation from drinking a bottle a day to a gallon a day. That's just not gonna happen. And your body's not gonna be very happy. It's gonna be like, whoa, what the hell? This is too much. So go at it slowly and gradually. And then after a week or two, you should be hitting or really close to hitting your goal every day. Another tip here that I tell people is to invest in a couple of larger water bottles. And when I say invest, I mean like spend $5 on some water bottles from any gas station or grocery store. Just get the really big ones, like the one liter or one and a half liter bottles. You can also look into actual giant water jugs like mine. It is from a brand called Hydro Jug and it was actually $5 online. Plus I paid a little extra for a straw, which I'll get into in a minute. But if you're trying to drink 150 ounces of water a day and all you have is a 16 ounce Dasani bottle or some like quart size cute TJ Maxx bottle, you're making things way harder on yourself. You're gonna have to refill that bottle like eight times a day, which I can tell you right now, if you're already having trouble drinking enough water, 
you're going to have trouble refilling your water bottle that many times a day too. Um, it's also way harder to track your intake when you have to count eight refills versus if you just had two one liter bottles, um, you would really only need to refill each one once, maybe twice. So actually what I like to do is use my hydro jug, which is a half gallon to fill up various water bottles throughout my day. One, because hauling around that jug is kind of obnoxious in a lot of places. And two, because I like drinking out of my cute TJ Maxx water bottles, obviously. So I would recommend buying a couple of larger water bottles, water bottles, either actual water containers or just some big Dasani or smart water, whatever bottles, um, like plastic bottles from the store, and then use those as your measuring points for now. Finally, straws. So I can 100% drink way more water when I'm drinking out of a straw than when I'm drinking out of just the mouth of a water bottle. And because this is so fascinating to me, I actually Googled this as I was kind of writing up this episode. And there are a ton of like scholarly articles on why this is actually true. And here is what one of them had to say. Drinking through a straw is more efficient than picking up and tilting back a glass or open mouth water bottle. While drinking through a straw, a vacuum is created, meaning we're ingesting only liquid, not liquid plus oxygen, like when taking a normal sip. So that's awesome. Um, Buy some big water bottles, get some straws, and take your hydration to the next level, y'all. All All right, number two, mistake number two is not eating enough. So similar to number one here, not eating enough tends to be a surprising, quote, mistake for a lot of people because we are taught and told that in order to lose weight or be healthier, we need to eat less. We need smaller portions. We need to snack less. We need to just consume less and move more. And that is true at a very, very basic level. Um, The formula, if you will, for weight loss is and always has been more out than in equals weight loss. Burn more than you consume. Boom you're gonna lose weight. But two things that we need to consider here. The first is, are you actually trying to lose weight? Is weight loss your primary goal? Or is getting stronger, growing your muscles, looking and feeling more toned, reshaping your body, etc. is that your goal? Because if that's your goal, then you do not by any means need to consistently be eating less than you burn. The second thing to consider is, how much is enough? A lot of people are just going at this thing with absolutely no data or methodical approach. Just like when we ask or when I ask people how much water they're drinking and they don't know, I also ask people how many calories are you consuming a day and people don't know. A lot of people just kind of take the approach like, let me run a shit ton, do a lot of cardio, sweat a whole bunch, and then I'm going to eat salads and drink a lot of coffee and green juice. And so probably they're eating way less than they're burning. They're definitely eating less, but like way less. And then they might not even be losing weight. Maybe they lose a little at the beginning, um, but are they consistently and sustainably losing weight? Definitely not if this is the approach they're taking. And that's because at a certain point, your body actually adapts to what you're doing to it. And if it adapts to this approach, where can you go from there when you want to lose more weight? How much more can you do and how much less can you eat, you know? So that's why this approach basically sucks and is not something you can do forever. It's not effective because if you follow this progression, you're eventually going to get to a place where you can't really eat anything. The other reason just quote, eating less won't always work, is that your body does have a kind of minimum calorie requirement. Everybody does. Even if you laid in bed all day and didn't move or didn't eat, you would still burn calories just by being alive. 
So what do you think happens if you eat less calories than that minimum number, than the amount of calories it takes to keep you alive? Let's say your body needs a thousand calories a day just to function. What happens if you're actually feeding it 800 every day? Um, I'll tell you what happens. Your body essentially goes into a panic mode and it's like, well, shit, we barely getting enough to do our daily chores here. So we better hold on to every little thing we have because this ain't good, folks. Seriously, um, your body in starvation mode actually holds on to fat and energy because it's freaking out and it knows that it doesn't have enough to do all this stuff on its own. And the thing is, losing weight or dropping body fat is a stress on your body. It's an extra job on top of all the other normal daily functions that your body's doing. So to fuel that stress, that extra function, you need to be eating enough, period. So back to the original question here, how much is enough? Now, this is where people tend to not want to do the work, but the truth is you need to know some numbers and collect some data here if you want to go about this in an intelligent and sustainable way versus just trying to guess and feel your way through this thing. Everybody has a different caloric requirement based on age, gender, activity level, your current muscle mass, things like that. And we also have maintenance level calories, which means how much we need to just stay the same. We have a caloric deficit and then we also have a caloric surplus, which obviously indicates eating less than maintenance and then eating more than maintenance for either weight loss or gain. But where people are failing is right here in this data collection, this numbers part of their health and fitness. No one wants to actually do the research or collect any numbers and figure out, okay, for me and my body and my activity level, how much do I need to eat? Nobody wants to do that part. We just want to go with the approach of constantly eating less, which is not going to work long term. You need to know your numbers, at least at the beginning, to eliminate the guesswork, all right? So my recommended solution to this second mistake of not eating enough is actually to either do your own online research or consult with someone who's familiar with this kind of thing, like myself, or any health and fitness specialist, because underconsumption is just as big a problem as overconsumption. It's just that people don't think it is because of the way um, society and culture reinforces the whole eat less thing. So make sure you're eating enough to support your body naturally as well as enough to support your goals and activities. Okay, so mistake number three is actually the flip side of that, eating too much. And this little number will be quick because this mistake shares a lot of the same qualities and solutions as eating too little. So when we talk about eating too much, it's important to consider what we're eating too much of. Are you just eating too much food in general, like too many calories? Are you having too much sugar, too many carbs, too much protein, too much fat, too much processed food? What is it? Um, it is really hard to make changes in places like this if you don't know what you're eating. If you're just blindly consuming food every day and then you hear or read that you should have X amount of carbs or reduce your sugar intake or something like that, how are you even going to go about making those changes if you don't know where you're at to begin with, if you don't know where those types of things are coming from in your diet? So the very first tip I have to addressing overeating is just to get really familiar with what you're eating. Don't even make changes yet. This can be a simple food journal of just writing down what you eat. It can be full-blown food tracking in an app or on a website, whatever you're comfortable with for now. But in conjunction with that, start looking at the food labels of what you eat. Even if you have no idea what the ingredients are, which can also be a red flag, just look at it. Like, it's kind of scary to think about all the stuff we just put into our mouths and bodies that we don't even really understand, you know? So as a starting point, start looking at things like calories, 
portion sizes, fats, carbohydrates, sugar, protein, and then just skim the ingredient list. And after you do this enough, you're going to start to develop some kind of idea of like how much fat or sugar is typically in what you're eating. So in addition to getting familiar with your food like that, just like with undereating, you need to know how much you're overeating. And this is going to vary person to person because again, we all have different um, caloric and nutrition needs. So it's kind of hard again to make changes here if you don't know how much you're overeating by. So a little comparison here I like to make is speed limits. So every road has a speed limit and as drivers, we're supposed to stay within that speed limit, right? Or we're gonna get a ticket. So imagine that you're driving and you have no idea what the speed limit is on the road that you're on. You're essentially gonna be just guessing how fast you're allowed to go. And this is what a lot of people are doing with their nutrition. They have no idea how many calories are actually good for them and their individual parameters. They just guess and then boom, they get a ticket. They gain weight, they aren't building muscle, um, their progress stalls, whatever it is. And they have no idea how to correct it because they don't know the speed limit. They don't know their body's numbers. So again, this is where you'd need to gather up some numbers and do a little research and put the time in to know your body's needs. Again, this is the part no one wants to do. They want to just go in guessing and feeling and being intuitive, which sometimes works out. But most of the time, this thing is just so much easier when we have some kind of concrete way of seeing what we're doing, what's happening, and what's working and not working. So besides using an online calculator or consulting with someone who knows how to get these numbers for you and help set up a plan for you, what else can you do to attack this issue of overeating? So one simple solution here would be to start being really aware of portion sizes. Like I said earlier, start reading the portion sizes on the labels of the food you're eating. Now, these sizes are going to be things like a fourth a cup or 56 grams or two ounces, something random like that that you probably can't just like look at and say, yeah, that's 56 grams. So I would highly, highly recommend getting a food scale. Otherwise, again, you're gonna be guessing and just using your eyeballs and clearly that ain't working for you. So food scales are literally maybe $10 on Amazon, same in Walmart, and they are huge game changers in your diet and nutrition because they're gonna help you get super accurate in your portion sizes. Now, do I think you should or want to weigh out all your food forever? Hell no, but I promise you if you take the time to learn portion sizes now, you won't have to do that forever because you'll literally be able to look at a piece of chicken or a bowl of oatmeal or whatever and be like, yeah, that's four ounces. And I cannot tell you how useful that skill alone is. We have some real issues with portion sizes in America. So being able to understand how much something is, is really, really valuable and it's going to make a huge difference to you, I promise. The last little piece of advice I have here, if overeating is something you struggle with, is circling back to number one, drink more water. If you are constantly hungry, that's actually a problem. Yes, you should be hungry at mealtimes, and if you're extremely, extremely active, then you will probably be hungrier more often than most people. However, the average person really shouldn't be truly, truly hungry constantly. So we touched on this a little in number one, but when you think you're hungry, you're actually usually just thirsty. So when you drink enough water, you're less likely to get to that point where you feel hungry. So definitely drink some more water if overeating is something you struggle with. Pay attention to portion sizes and just start getting really familiar with what you're putting in your body. 
Okay, moving on to mistake number four, um, doing too much cardio. So one of the most common misconceptions that a lot of women have about the gym is that they need to be doing tons of cardio to lose weight or tone up. And so 90% of gyms will be all women on the cardio equipment and mostly men out on the floor with the weights and machines. And before you get too offended here, cardio is great. Cardio is important. Cardiovascular health is huge and you should definitely incorporate some type of cardio activity into your workouts. However, if cardio is your only activity at the gym, if you go in and do 30 minutes or an hour or anything in that range on some treadmill, elliptical, bike, stepper, whatever, and then you leave, that's exactly why you're not seeing what you want to see. Or if you're a runner or biker or whatever, and you just run three miles five days a week, and then you're like, hi, why am I not toning up? Why am I not losing weight? It's because cardio is not the secret to getting there. On the same note, If you're doing cardio and then you go do 100 crunches or three minutes of planks or something else you saw on Pinterest about abs, you're also on a road leading to nowhere. So when we talk about cardio, we're just talking about elevating your heart rate. And there are so many ways to do that outside of just a piece of equipment or going on a run. Lifting weights can be great cardio if you monitor your rest appropriately and don't check your email 17 times between sets like I sometimes do. But one reason there is such a thing as too much cardio is actually similar to the mistake of under eating. If you do too much cardio, you could actually be burning too many calories and your body's freaking out, holding on to all of its excess energy and storage because you're stressing it out. (laughs) What's also going on when you pump out 45 minutes on the elliptical or go run three miles is you're doing what's called steady state cardio. You are maintaining a steady elevated heart rate for an extended period of time, which in terms of heart health is really great. But for weight loss or muscle building, it's not necessary to do that five times a week or anything. Steady state cardio helps you burn calories in that 30 or 45 minute span, whatever it is, and then you're done. The burn is over. Whereas with weightlifting or interval training for a shorter amount of time can actually help you continue burning calories all day long. Muscle is actually a fat burning tissue. So when you build up the amount of muscle you have, you actually build up your ability to burn fat at rest. This is much more efficient than only burning calories while you run or while you're on the elliptical. So the solution to doing too much cardio is not just to do less, it's to do more strength training or interval work like sprints, jumps, kettlebell swings, boxing, box jumps, etc. If you're thinking, well, how much is too much? Again, this is going to vary person to person, but for the average female trying to lose an average amount of weight, starting with three cardio-focused sessions per week, meaning three days of mostly cardio, should be a perfect starting point. And remember, your weight training sessions can also count as a cardio workout if you keep up the pace and take normal rests. All right, mistake number five, kind of like mistake number four, not lifting weights. So again, kind of like we just talked about, the mistake of not lifting weights is generally made in conjunction with doing too much cardio or overvaluing cardio and undervaluing weight training. So like we just said too, muscle is a fat burning tissue. More muscle equals more fat burn, even when you're doing nothing. And I'm going to repeat that because I feel like if this had sunk into women's brains by now, we wouldn't have women slaving over the treadmills. Muscle burns fat. So when you have more muscle, you're able to burn more fat more efficiently. I was going to pre-qualify this next part and say, if you're trying to lose weight or build muscle, 
But the truth is, regardless of your health goals, if you are a woman, you should be lifting weight, period. It's good for our bones. Our bones are shown to get weaker and more brittle as we age. So start lifting heavy things often now so you can have strong bones in the future. Um, this mistake is often a little harder to fix because the solution is, okay, start lifting weights. But the how is the biggest piece here. So that's one of my biggest focuses as a coach and trainer is teaching women how to lift weights, how to build plans for themselves, how to get started effectively. So this is a little harder to address here in a podcast, but I'm going to give you my best starting places and resources for strength training for beginners. Obviously, me, shameless self-promotion, I do have a really great basic but challenging eight-week app-based program that's totally geared towards beginners, and it has written instructions as well as videos for every exercise, so looking into a really structured and guided plan is a good option. Another thing to consider would be looking into getting a few sessions with a personal trainer just to learn the basics, and then you can kind of go out on your own after that. Online resources I really like for exercises as well as full programs are bodybuilding.com and katiehearn.com, and I'm going to link those in the show notes as well. Overall, though, here, if you're genuinely trying to conquer whatever fears or self-consciousness you have about lifting weights or venturing over to that part of the gym, just getting started in a strength training routine, most of this is mental. And so taking time to slowly ease into it and tell yourself that it's not as big a deal as you're making it no one's watching you, all of that, that can help a lot in addition to investing in some outside help. Okay, number six, moving right along, is kind of linked with that one, and it is not lifting heavy enough weight. So, all right, you're lifting weights, you're doing some machines, you're using some dumbbells, some kettlebells and stuff, and still nothing much is really happening. You're not seeing a lot of progress. I have met with so many women who come to me saying, all right, this is my routine. I do this, then this machine, then this, then that, three times here, et cetera, et cetera. And they show me a pretty decent little rotation of exercises and things that they're doing. And sometimes I'll say, okay, well, what weight are you doing on this machine? And they tell me, and I'm like, girl, you could totally do more than that. And nine times out of 10, the girl or woman will be like, well, yeah, but I'm not trying to bulk up or anything. Or, I mean, yeah, I could probably go up. And that is the issue. When you are lifting weights for strength building and muscle toning purposes, you should be lifting a weight that fatigues your muscles. You should be lifting a weight that's challenging and makes you wonder if you're going to be able to complete the given reps. Very, very often when I am training a female client, I'll start them with, say, 40 pounds on a machine and we'll do one set and I'll say, okay, how'd that feel? And they'll say, yeah, it was hard. It was good. And so I'll move up to 50 pounds and they'll complete that, all the reps. And they'll be like, oh yeah, okay, that was really hard. And I'll say, okay, and we move up to 60, 65. And finally at 65 pounds, 25 more pounds than where we started, they're actually straining and putting in some work. And I say, okay, that's where we need to be. You should be really, really working through every rep. And if you're doing 10 reps of a move, you should be ready to stop at 10 reps. If you can keep going, you need some more weight. So that's awesome if you're already using some machines and lifting some weights. But if you're just going through the motions and it's not challenging you, then it's really not doing a whole lot. It should be hard. You should be straining. And this is not how you bulk up. So don't even worry about that. This is also why I recommend tracking your weight on each exercise somewhere. Because let's say you're curling five pounds right now. And the next time you go in, you curl five pounds again. And the next time. And the next. If you continue to just curl five pounds at 10 reps every time because that's what you can do, you're also not really fatiguing your muscles or challenging them, right? You're not making them grow or work any harder because they're like, all right, we got this. We can do this weight. We good. 
So in order to grow them and get the tone and definition you want, you need to also be increasing your weight. So maybe after you can get five pounds for 10 reps for two or three weeks in a row, go ahead and try eight pounds for 10 reps or eight pounds for eight reps. Even if you have to go down a little on your reps, it's worth it to add the extra weight and work back up to how many reps you were doing and then up your weight again. I hope that makes sense. Um, The biggest point I want to drive home here is that you should be choosing weights that are challenging, weights that make you tired, okay? All right, mistake number seven, not doing something sustainable. So this is a huge mistake, and a lot of us, myself included, have made this one in many different ways because it applies to so many different areas. Um, The way we work out, the way we eat, the way we're structuring our time, all of that. So if you're trying to change your body or lifestyle in any way by using an approach that you can't stick to long term, then this is probably not a good approach. Because if you can only do it for six weeks or three months or whatever, and then you absolutely have to take a break or quote cheat or whatever it's called, then you're not really focused on making changes that are going to last so much as getting a quick result. Um, If you find yourself saying or thinking things like, I need a cheat meal or I broke my diet or I need to get back on track then you probably haven't found an approach that's sustainable for you. Things like the keto diet, Atkins, um, going super low carb, meal replacement shakes, extreme fasting, that kind of stuff works in the very short term. And honestly, the reason that all these work is not because of carbs or fat or anything magic like that, but because they all just kind of make you eat so little. So naturally, anyone who eats less like that, um, who eats less than they burn, like we talked about, is going to lose weight. But these are not long-term solutions at all. You cannot be low-carb or keto forever and still have a happy, maintainable lifestyle because those approaches require you to cut out so much of your, quote, normal life. And so by choosing to do something that's not sustainable, you're not setting yourself up to succeed long-term. You're looking for something quick and easy, and you want a shortcut around all the education and information that you need to really make changes that last. It's super easy to tell if you're using an approach that's not sustainable because you're going to feel really restricted. You're going to feel stressed. You're going to feel hyper-focused on certain things. And to an extent, um, you can feel restricted in the beginning of making some lifestyle changes because you're cutting out certain things and certain habits. However, if you feel restricted forever or really long-term, chances are you've chosen to do something that just doesn't fit within your lifestyle and preferences. So it's probably not the best option for you. So ways to fix this mistake are first and foremost, take time to educate yourself, which I suspect you're already interested in doing, seeing as you're here listening to this podcast. And when we talk about educating ourselves, we mean doing things like this, reading articles, asking people whose opinions or lifestyles you trust for advice, things like that. Another thing to do here is simply be patient and take your time to do things the right way. Even though it may take a little longer to actually see results, because when you do things the right way and do all the little things and really learn what you're doing, you make real changes versus changes for the next month or 90 days or whatever. So be patient, quit looking for shortcuts, commit to a solid plan on a solid timeline and stick to it. Don't just dive in head first and go ham and try to restrict hardcore or make really drastic changes really fast. Take your time, do it right, and pay attention to whether or not this is something you could actually sustain long-term as a lifestyle versus a, quote, diet or 90-day fix or whatever. All right, guys, we are almost to the end of our list here. Number eight is one of my favorites, but it's also one of the most challenging, and that is treating your body like it's something to manage. A good friend of mine and fellow health coach named Laura said this to me, and 
man, it just rang so true. Um, when you treat your body like it's your employee and you're the manager, you do things like reward it and punish it and raise your hand if you've been there before, right? We have to quit operating from this reward, punish, managerial mentality. You do not need to reward your body for a hard workout with some ice cream. I'm sorry. You can reward yourself, your mind, your choices, your efforts, all of that for doing something healthy for you and for putting in the work. But when you allow yourself to reward yourself with a treat like a big meal or a piece of dessert, you're simultaneously allowing the flip side of that, which is punishment. And just like you don't need to reward your body with treats, you also don't need to punish your body with exercise or extra working out. This is terrible and it's totally a managerial, very um, separate way of handling your body. When you get mad at your body about it not doing what you want it to do, not looking a certain way, not performing a certain way, you're actually acting like a manager and your body's your employee or something like that. It's like I said, just a very separate way of acting. You and your body are on the same team. You're friends, you work together. You can applaud it for doing hard stuff and you can honestly critique it when you know you could have done better. But the punishment reward mentality has to stop. So ways to approach fixing this managerial mentality are just slowly, persistently backing away from giving yourself treats and punishments. Plan your workouts, plan your rewards, because it's totally fine and acceptable to reward yourself for hard work. And in fact, I 100% recommend doing so. But make your treat something like a spa night at home, going to the movies, buying a new pair of shoes, um, or a candle, or like a little goodie for yourself. Don't make your treat a food-based reward or something like that. But the main thing is plan your workouts and plan your rewards. That way, you're less likely to work out as a means of punishing yourself and you have rewards that you're working towards. You have to learn, and it does take a long time and a lot of intentional effort, but you have to teach yourself how to quit seeing workouts and food as rewards or punishments or things that undo the other. Working out does not undo food and eating does not mean you have to work out more. They work together. You work together with your body. And the sooner you can become friends with yourself versus your manager, the sooner you will develop a healthy relationship with the gym, with food, and with yourself. All right, number nine, friends. Number nine might actually need to be number one because this is just such an across-the-board huge, huge mistake that people are making. And it's also, luckily, super easy to fix. Mistake number nine you might be making is not being consistent. Again, as part of my job, I meet with lots of women frustrated about their weight or health situation. And one of the most frustrating things is when people say things like, I mean, I've been working out for over a month now and I still haven't lost any weight. So we've talked a lot about a lot of other factors um, and things that this could be. But besides all those other things, the fact that she's only been working out a month and is already frustrated is an issue. Look, depending on your level, age, overall health, etc., you could see progress in four weeks for sure. But sometimes it just takes way longer than that. The reality is you really need to stick with something and stick with it honestly for at least six weeks before you start to wonder whether or not it's effective for you. And the honestly part is key here because again, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, I've been doing XYZ for six weeks and nothing's happening. But if you dig a little, it comes out that, well, they've been trying to do XYZ five times a week and they've been trying to eat better, but really they've only been doing it three times a week and they are still eating out every weekend. So that's the real issue. Um, consistency for sure, but honest consistency is the main thing. 
So like I said, I would give most things about six weeks of honest, solid effort before you wonder what's going on. But in terms of dieting or changing your food habits, this is a different story. So for dietary changes, I would recommend giving yourself about two to three weeks to assess changes here because one week is definitely too short of time for your body to really adjust or make any real progress, but two or three weeks is a good length of time to, re- to reassess after that. You don't want to go six weeks on a crap diet and then find out, oh my God, I gained two pant sizes. <laughs> so for food and nutrition changes, go with about two or three weeks And overall, try to look at stuff in six-week increments and see what's working, not working from there. If you genuinely feel like you've been on 90% of the time for six weeks straight and you're literally seeing or feeling no change, then you might have some cause for concern and you might want to consult with someone about making additional changes or going another route. But before you just lose all hope in weight loss or give up or whatever, be consistent and be honest about how consistent you're being. All right, final mistake. Mistake number 10 is not understanding what you're doing. And what I mean by this is if you are just blindly following a program or plan and you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, this is a mistake because if you're doing something with no understanding as to why you're doing it, how can you feel comfortable or confident making any kind of changes to that plan? You can't. And the truth is life is going to happen while you're on that program or doing that plan or whatever. So if you just blindly subscribe to it and you have no idea about the reasoning behind what you're doing, how are you going to be able to handle those life situations? Let's say you're doing some diet plan that has all your meals planned out every day. That's great. Boom. But what about when someone asks you to go out to eat? You're not going to just skip out on something like this, but you do want to stay on plan and feel like you're still making progress. So you go to dinner, but how are you going to be able to confidently and comfortably order something if you have no idea what kind of diet plan you're even on? Is the purpose of your plan um, to be high protein, low carb, count calories, eat within a given time frame? Um, if you're just blindly following something like this, you're not going to be able to make an adequate adjustment or substitution to the plan. Likewise, if you're just following a random gym plan or exercise program from someone and you have no idea why each day or each workout is the way it is or why you're doing certain things the way you're doing them, what are you going to do or how are you going to feel when you aren't able to hit your workout one day? You're going to panic because all you have is this plan and you have no knowledge of how to do anything on your own if you have to. So the solution here is to inform yourself of whatever route you choose for your health and fitness. No, you don't have to know everything and it's totally fine to feel like you don't understand all of the ins and outs of whatever programming you're on. However, ask questions if you're working with a person, Um, Google stuff before you just buy some fad weight loss plan, do a little research on your own about what you're doing, otherwise you're going to forever be at the whim of others to give you information, which is just not where you want to be. All right, ladies and gents, if you're a gent listening, I'm sorry if I just offended you. Um, That wraps up all 10 mistakes. I hope this was helpful. And if you learned something or heard something that really resonated with you, I would really appreciate a little review in iTunes or a simple sharing of this episode on any platform you want. Thanks always, always for listening and hanging out. For more information like this, be sure to check out my Instagram. And if you're not already a member of my private Facebook group for women only, send me a message about that and I will send you an invite. Definitely check the show notes for this episode for a ton of links and resources from this episode. And I hope you have a happy and healthy week.